instantly that it was, a, it was a picture or an image of someone that was actually in our church that was being affected by something bad. And the, the significant thing about it was that they had, they had they'd moved away from the other sheep. They were isolating themselves and they'd moved away. Now, that, that's, that's uh, important to understand because sheep are very gregarious. Those of you who know about sheep, they, they always like to hang out together. And this sheep had moved away and it didn't, it didn't want to get help. It had moved away on its own. And it made me think about the fact that sometimes when we've got a problem, uh, instead of moving towards help and, and ways we can find help, we go the other way and we isolate ourselves away from the help that we could get. And it made me think about Adam and Eve, you know, when, uh, when they're in the garden. And it says that they sinned against God. And then after that, instead of God, God was coming down every day and, and, and walking in the garden and talking with them. But they went and hid themselves. They went away from God because of shame and guilt and condemnation in their life. They went the other way, away from God. And this morning, friends, as I was thinking about this during the week, uh, the Holy Spirit just began to drop into my heart all the reasons or some of the reasons why we should, instead of running away from God, we should run towards God because He is our help and He is our hope. And I want to share with you this morning some of those reasons about why we should run towards God. He's the only one that can really help us in a lot of situations. And so uh, here we go. Uh, but before, I, before I get there, um, you know, Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, one of the issues is that they were actually afraid of God. They were afraid of what might happen because they knew they disobeyed Him. And, and I believe this morning someone that, that God is going to set someone free from a fear of God today. Now, you know, um, if you read the Old Testament, and uh, some older translations of the Bible, it actually mentions quite a lot that we should actually fear God. But as, as um, our language changes, and if you get into the New Testament, you see that that word actually, it really means worship God or reverence or respect God. It doesn't mean be afraid of Him. So there's no reason we need to be afraid of God at all. And as we look at the life of Jesus, who is the full representation of God to us, we know that there's nothing to be afraid of. And that's where I want to start this morning. I want to start off by saying today, friends, and you know this, this phrase I'm about to use. You've heard it before. But the number one point is Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's you and me. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And you don't need to be afraid of God. We need to understand He's a friend of sinners. At least that was the word on the street in Jesus when Jesus walked on earth in His earthly ministry. That was what He was accused of. Now, the people that said that about Jesus, they hoped uh, they were making a slanderous accusation against him because they themselves, the people who said this, they thought that, well, we have nothing to do with sinners because we are kind of, we're the, we're the upper class. You know, we don't have, we're, we're right. We're, we're the righteous ones. Actually, they were self-righteous. But they said, Jesus, they were pointing the finger at him and saying, but he hangs out with those people. He's a friend of sinners, not like us. That's what they were really saying. And, you know, even though it was a slanderous accusation at the time, the fact is it was actually true because he was a friend of sinners. He was, and he still is. And I'm going to give you some examples of this when this happened. You know, one, one such um, instance was the calling of Matthew. Jesus went around and he, and he called people to follow him, to be disciples. And he'd say, you know, come after me and follow me. And they did. You know, it was an incredible uh, time when that happened. 
And uh, one of them was the, the calling of this guy called Matthew or, or Levi. And um, he, he was a tax collector. Now, this has nothing to do with tax collectors today. If, you, if you're here or watching online and you work for the tax department, then God bless you. I'm sure that you are the most honest uh, person and we appreciate and respect you. But in Jesus' day, in his earthly ministry, tax collectors, they were like the lowest because, I mean, if there was a trust scale, you know, and there are things called like a trust scale. I was looking at one just yesterday, you know, and um, uh, one done a couple of years ago, not last year actually, uh, they, they, they did an analysis of, uh, it was a survey of about 3,000 people, uh, wh- which profession do you trust the most, okay? In this particular one, uh, doctors and nurses were on top, they were on top, you know, and, um, and right at the bottom was journalists and politicians, right? they, were the, they were number 30, I think, at the bottom, and, and ministers and priests were right in the middle somewhere, so, of, the, of the trust scale, but, but anyway, but the, in Jesus' day, tax collectors, they weren't even on the scale. They had, they had their own kind of scale because they didn't even make it onto the trust scale. Um, so, you know, the, the, the tax collectors, they, they, were, they were the people that Jesus was hanging around with and, and uh, people like that. But it says in, in Luke chapter 5, it says, The Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum, they called them. That's what they called them. But Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're, who think they're righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. That's the people that Jesus came to call. That means you and I, folks. That means us today. And, you know, there was a, when you read this, you can see that there was actually a group of people that uh, were outside the scope of Jesus' ministry, that they, he wasn't able to reach them because they thought they were righteous and they thought they didn't need any help. Unfortunately, that's not true. We all need help. We all need Jesus in our lives. Another example is in Luke chapter 7. And uh, we're going to read a couple of verses here. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for lunch. And uh, Jesus accepted the invitation, a guy called Simon it was, Simon the Pharisee. And as they sat down to eat, a woman of the streets, a prostitute, heard that he was there and brought an exquisite flask filled with expensive perfume. And going in, she knelt behind him at his feet. They need to understand here that in Roman times, which is what this was, they would often, uh, in, you know, in, in meal, at meal times, they would like lounge on these like, couches and their feet would have been like out behind. So it was easy for her to come and stand behind him. And she came and knelt behind him at his feet, weeping with her tears falling down upon his feet. She wiped them off with her hair and kissed them and poured the perfume on his feet. And of course, Simon the Pharisee, their host, was a bit upset about this. And he said, he said to himself, just in, in, his, in himself, he said, this man couldn't be a prophet. If he was, he would know what kind of woman this was. And so he, he was in his, in his mind judging her. And Jesus, of course, knew what he was thinking. And Jesus spoke up and said, Simon, Simon, I, I have something to say to you. Oh, go ahead, Master, speak. He was thinking that Jesus was going to thank him and commend, commend him for their lunch 
occasion that Simon had put on. But Jesus said to Simon, Simon, I've got a story to tell you. There was a man who lent some money to two people, to one, 5,000, to another, 500. But neither of them could repay the loan, so uh, the man kindly forgave them and let them keep the money. And so, um, which, of, which of those two do you suppose uh, loved the man the most after that? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven the higher, the higher debt. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right. That, that's correct. But you know what? When I came in here, uh, you didn't give me any water to wash my feet with, as was the normal thing in those days. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't, ref- you didn't give me the customary kiss of greeting, which was normal in, in that culture in, in those times. But she has kissed my feet again and again since I came in. And you, and you neglected the usual courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has covered my feet with rare perfume. Therefore, her sins, and they are many, are forgiven. For she loved me much. And he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. You know, and it's just an interesting scenario, you know, that Jesus was just totally open you know, to this, this woman who was regarded by many people as being at the bottom of the stack. Friends, he, he is a friend. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And, you know, and I want to say this morning, if you're used to being judged because of your behavior or your history or your lifestyle or where you've come from, maybe you came from the other side of the tracks, so to speak, you know, I want to tell you today, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And it's, it's, good, it's a good place to be in, to be a friend of the Son of God. He's a friend of sinners this morning. The second thing I want to mention, the second reason why we should run towards God and not away from Him is this, that at the end of the rope, when you come to the end of yourself, and you might say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a hopeless case, or, you know, could God forgive me? Could God really uh, help me? Could God do something for me? When you get to the end of the rope and you run out of things that you can do to help yourself, I want to tell you, God stands right there ready to rescue you at that moment, at that point. And there's a great verse in the Bible in Romans chapter 5. We're going to read it in a moment. But um, in the Old Testament, um, in the, the, the law of Moses or the law that God gave to the, to the nation of Israel, there was a purpose for that. And the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Rome, he spoke about this. The reason why God gave the law. It says here, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. You see, that's that's the point. You you might be doing the wrong thing, but unless you know if it's clearly laid out that it is the wrong thing, you might not even know. The law was given so that we would know the difference between right and wrong. And the law is good. The law is perfect, the Bible says. God's law is perfect. So the law was given to help us all see that we weren't making it. We weren't actually meeting God's standard. None of us were. And then it says, but as people sinned more and more, pause again. Hit the pause button right there again. What I think is amazing about this is God gave his law to show people, you know, right, the difference between right and wrong. 
but it didn't stop them doing the wrong thing. Can you see that? He gave his law, but then they kept on sinning more and more. Because the law doesn't change people. It doesn't change their hearts. When that happened, as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. In other words, God's capacity to forgive, His, His uh, open heart to, to respond to us in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our failure, just increased exponentially. And we're going to look at this just right now. That word more and more, which you can see on the screen there, is from a Greek word, which means something that exists in abundance, growing larger and more expansive with the passing of time. When sin, just as people sin more and more, it's, what it's saying is that human behavior on its own doesn't actually get better. Does that make sense? I mean, do, do, can you see that? Um, it's a bit like the second law of thermodynamics for the scientific inclined amongst us, which says in simplified form, I know some of you already know this and can probably quote it better than me, but in simplified form it says, all systems left to themselves tend to decay. It's actually an interesting commentary about evolution because it actually shows that evolution doesn't really fit the scientific model, by the way. The second law of thermodynamics proves this, but in, human, in terms of human behaviour and psychology, uh, when people are left to themselves, if you put a thousand people out on an island and leave them to themselves, are they going to become a more civil society? Uh, are they going to become a, a better uh, society over time? Answer, probably not. That they won't. Because, as, because in human nature is such that sin tends to increase more and more. And I, and I want to say here, friends, if we take God out of the picture of any culture or any society, it tends to de it descends into chaos. That's just what happens. We are blessed in our country to have the rule of law, uh, as they say, and which is a wonderful thing. It's, it's wonderful. And if, if you're here today and you feel that maybe somehow or other the law of the land has mistreated you in some way or other, I just want to say to you, just try going overseas somewhere and see what it's like over there. Having been overseas a few times myself, I can, I can tell you that in Australia, we are so blessed with the way things operate in our country. So we have the rule of law, but you need to know that, that progressively as a nation, we are being moved more and more away from uh, what we can call the Judeo-Christian ethic, which is the foundation of our legal system and the foundation of what made us prosper as a country. We, were, we, we prospered as a country because of that. And unfortunately, uh, there are a lot of people that want to move us away from that in the name of being progressive, as they say. I want to tell you, friend, that uh, if we think that the law of the land uh, on its own can govern human behavior, it can't. There has to be more than just a have to. There has to be a want to to do the right thing. And because I, I was in politics for a number of years, I... I, I saw this so, so uh, clearly played out that there has to be a moral framework in a society that governs human behavior at its deepest point. And so that's why we need God. God is the author of that. And so that's why it's so important. When uh, people sinned more and more, said God's wonderful grace became 
more abundant. And this is the great thing about this. This is the amazing thing. That word more abundant, it's from another Greek word, uh, which is actually a compound word. And it's from two parts. One, I'll tell you what the word is. It's a, I'm going to try and say, pronounce this. It's a hooperisio. And the first part of it is hooper, which means in Greek, uh, beyond, to go beyond expect or beyond something. And the second part uh, means abundantly, exceedingly. It means to, to go beyond what already exceeds. In other words, beyond what you can possibly imagine. Something that's growing beyond proportion, just out, out, of, out of its banks like a river. Uh, you know, and I, it, it, the illustration is um, like a river in flood. And for those of you that have been through floods in the past, we certainly have been a number of times. And uh, you can imagine a, a river that's, that's, that's about to flood its banks and it's being pushed down from uh, a, lot of, a lot of heavy rain up in the, in the headwaters of the river. And it just comes down and it just keeps growing and overflows and it just floods the whole surrounding countryside. That's what that word more abundant really, that's what it comes from in the original language. And so what it's saying is that the, the, the worse people get in their own lives, the better God gets and the bigger His capacity to forgive us and to heal and restore and bring His life into our, into our hearts. So, so I want to say, friends, that's a reason that we should run toward God. Don't ever think that I'm too far gone. Don't ever think that I'm a hopeless case. You know, that God couldn't handle my problems. He can. He can today. So important that we know that. The third thing this morning is that the shepherd went out of his way to rescue the one, not the 99. It's important we understand this today. It's a very important reason to run toward God. Jesus told many stories to illustrate God's heart for people because God loves people. And in Luke chapter 15, there's, there's a great story about this, about the shepherd and and uh, with a hundred sheep. And it's interesting that it says that his, his audience, who the audience was that he was speaking to, it says a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. And, and it made me think, you know, is, is our message here at Livestream, is it so full of hope that people will want to come, will want to come and hear the message about Jesus? That's I'm just setting the bar here for those of you who preach in the church that we, we've got to know that there's enough hope here flowing in this place that people will want to come and hear the message of Jesus. So let's talk about this. He told a story and he said to the people that were listening, which one of you, um, you know, might have a hundred sheep? And, and a lot of people were farmers in those days. It was like an agrarian society. So uh, which one of you has a hundred sheep? And one of them strays away. We, what, wouldn't he just leave the 99 there and, and go after the one and he'd keep searching till he found it? And when he finds it, it says that he will, he will pick it up and put it on his shoulders and bring it home. And when he does, he'll call his friends together and say, hey, I found my, my sheep that was lost. Come, let's have a party. Let's celebrate together. It's a great picture of how God reaches out to the one it doesn't mean that he, uh, he didn't leave the 99 in a safe place, but he kept the one. He went after the one. And a couple of points about that. Number one is that he gave it, he gave it his best. The shepherd put all of his energy into reaching this one. He gave it all he had. 
that he could reach this one sheep. And you can see the heart of the, the Father in it, his love for us in that, in that picture, that thing. Just think about it for a moment. Those of you who are business people here this morning, think about this from a business perspective. You know, which shepherd, you know, who, who, who would leave 99 perfectly good sheep um, to go after one sheep that was potentially a rogue sheep anyway? That's why it wandered away. Who, who, who would do that? You know, from a risk management in a perspective, it just doesn't make a lot of sense, does it, really, to do that. In fact, it's, it's really ludicrous. And, and the thing is, when he gets home and throws a party with his friends, he's not saying, hey, come and celebrate with me. I just saved 1% of my income. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, I found the one sheep that I loved. The sheep that I loved, I found. Come help me celebrate. That's the thing that I really want to celebrate about today. So clearly, it wasn't a commercial decision that the shepherd was making. It was because he loved the sheep. And, I, and this morning, friends, no matter how lost you might feel today, I want to tell you the shepherd is out looking for you this morning. He's looking for you because he loves you. And the third thing about that is that, you know, when it says, and it might be up on the screen, yeah, it says, count, count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Now, it's very interesting when you read that where it says more joy in heaven. Um, that word joy there, it's, it's actually the same as the word that we translate grace very often. And what it really means is to experience joy as a result of God's grace. That's what, if you look at it in the original, it's like kari. It's a variation of kari, which means grace. And it, it means to, to experience God's grace and be conscious of it because of his grace. And here's the thing. When someone on earth makes a response to God, what it's, what it's saying is that heaven, God's angels in heaven, don't just tick a box and say, oh, yep, he's, he's come back, you know, she's come back. You know. It's not about ticking a box. What it's saying is that, Heaven feels it when someone responds to God. Heaven experiences joy and the grace of God when someone responds to God. And here's the thing, friends. Sometimes, you know, we are running away from God and He's reaching out to us. Like, like this Samaritan woman. Jesus went out of His way to reach her. He went where people wouldn't normally go to reach her. And God does that for us. It's a picture it's an image of what God does for us. He reaches out to us. And he's reaching out to you this morning. And uh, I, I want to encourage you that if you're here today and, and the Holy Spirit is just touching your heart and saying, saying something to you like, I want you to come and run towards me. I want you to respond to that. Can we have our creative team to come back uh, just quickly? And, and uh, Because let's, let's close our eyes for a moment. As we pray, because I just know that the Holy Spirit is always looking to touch the hearts of people and to reach into the lives of people and to do something that can't be done in any other way other than we open our hearts to God and let Him in. Let Him come into our lives and receive His love, receive His truth, receive His blessing and His favor into our hearts. And so tomorrow, today, friends, He is he's wanting to touch you. He's wanting to reach into your life today.
I, I believe the Holy Spirit is here and he's, he's actually in this room today right now and uh, speaking into people's lives and hearts. Why don't we just stand up? We're, we're just going to sing that little song. It's a little song called Yes, Jesus Loves Me. It's a Sunday school song. It's a song that is so simple and uh, you've probably heard it before. And uh, I want us to sing this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Thank you. 